Hi there, and welcome to the Umpal.com podcast. I'm Oli, and for episode number nine, I'm very pleased to bring to you a chat with Lee Von Erk, one of the great American carvers. You can find Lee's homepage at www.von-erk.com. That's www.von-erk.com. This podcast is sponsored by the North American Society of Pipe Collectors, the NASPC. With members in every state of the U.S., as well as members in Canada and many other parts of the world, the NASPC is over 900 members strong. This group puts out six newsletters a year, each of which are great reading for any pipe enthusiast. Each year, at the end of August, the NASPC holds a huge swap and sell show in Columbus, Ohio. The NASPC is a group that I urge you to join. Dues are $15 per year U.S. currently, $18 per year Canada, and $30 per year everywhere else. This is one way we pipe smokers can keep informed on every level. Go to www.naspc.org today and join. I'm a member. You should be too. For the following podcast, I spoke with Lee Von Erk at the 2008 Chicagoland Pipe Show. We stepped outside into the smoking tent, which is why you'll hear a good bit of background noise. It was such a treat to finally meet Lee and talk to him about his amazing work. Have a seat, grab a pipe, and stay a while. I hope you enjoy. Okay, here we are at the 2008 Chicago Pipe Show, and I'm sitting here with the legendary Lee Von Erk. Uh, Lee, thanks so much for joining us today, and uh, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much for uh, the honor of being able to do this interview. Uh, Lee, tell us a little about yourself and how you got started with pipes. Well, I've been a, a pipe smoker since uh, 1959. Uh, when I got, I was in the army, and when I got to France, they had cigarettes rationed on us, so pretty much everybody at the end of the month was smoking pipes. But my dad, and my, both my grandfathers were pipe smokers, so I guess it's just kind of natural I fell into it. Uh, I much prefer the pipe to anything else. I don't like cigars. I do smoke cigarettes occasionally, but not very often. And at what point did you start to uh, realize you wanted to, to carve pipes? Well, I got into the business not with the idea of making pipes, but I was looking for another career. I was at the age where the career I was in had to come to an end because of age. And I was looking for something to do, and I heard about a man in Minnesota that had a pipe repair business that he was trying to sell. His health was getting bad, and he didn't feel he was reliable to his customers. So I met with Dave, and um, we came to an agreement. And he moved all the equipment and inventory from Minnesota up to uh, Michigan. And for a number of years, all I did was pipe repairs. But now I can look back at it, and I see what an education I got from doing that. It really was uh, a good introduction to, to pipe making. And then I, I, I decided one day, well, maybe I'll try and make a pipe. And I went, first I went through the process of how I bought a pipe. And you walk into a strange pipe store, and the first thing you do is you look at everything they got. So you got to make something unique. What If you're going to make billiards and Canadians, how are you going to make yours stand out? So you catch their eye first. You got to do that first. Then they're going to want to see it. Hold it in their hand. So it's got to be comfortable in their hand. 
It's got to be comfortable in their mouth. And it, last but not least, it's got to be a good smoking piece. Well, everybody claimed that oil-cured pipes were always the best smokers. So, I developed an oil-curing process, and I took two to three years to develop that before I even tried to make a pipe. And I gave away somewhere in, the, in over 200 pipes in doing that. I had, in the deal when I bought the repair business, I got a huge box of old pipes. They weren't anything great. I mean, there wasn't Dunhills or anything in there, but there was... Oh, there was some BBBs in there and some Webers and stuff like that. And I'd take those and ream them down the wood, throw the bit away, oil cure them, put a bit back in them, and give them away to friends, relatives, whatever, find out how it smoked. Well, of course, in the beginning, two puffs and most of those went right in the trash. But it, I kept working at it, working at it, working at it, and finally got to the point where I had some good smoking pipes, but they were used. They were oil cured, but they were used. So then it was time to see if I could make a pipe. So I bought 75 pieces of the cheapest briar I could find. And if you ever run into any of those on the estate market, they have a serial number on them, but they haven't got a grade, a letter grade. They, they are marked with an EX for experimental. And of that 75 pipes, I probably gave away in the neighborhood of 60 and sold the others for $25 or something. And they came with a, an evaluation sheet. And I threatened to send Guido if they didn't send back the <laughs> registration to the, the sheet. And I, I was getting back nothing but positive, so I knew I was on to something. So then it was time to buy the good briar and start making better quality pipes and it just kind of escalated from there. How long did you do Pipe Restore before you started making oh, pipes? I was probably four or five years and it wasn't just restoring but it was, it was uh, people you know they bite through stems. I'm not talking about collectors pipe smokers. Now these are guys that have got three or four pipes at home and they you know just beat them to death and they like the pipe so when the stem breaks they got to have a new stem or they crack the shank they want it put back together uh, but that was that was a real education real education you see how other people make pipes you know you, yeah i repaired everything from 1927 dunhills 150 year old mershams Dr. Grable's. I've had people send me corn cobs to put a bit in, you know. So everything from and everything in between. Wow. What was uh, what was your inspiration as far as your artistic eye early on, and has that changed over the yes, years? Yes, there has there has been a rather significant change over the 25 plus years I've been doing this. Uh, but the inspiration, my own style, is something that I cannot teach. I can, and I do have quite a number of people that come to the shop and spend a week with me or two days or three days, whatever they can arrange. Uh, and I tell them right up front, I can give you, I can give you all of the craftsmanship that goes into making a pipe. You can make 
as good a finished pipe as anybody else when you get done. But I cannot teach you how to develop your own style. That's something you have to search for yourself. And where it comes from, I found shapes. I found a shape that I do once in a while in the pattern in my shower curtain. Uh, the shape that I'm best known for, I call the loom. And I, the first one I did, I looked at the pipe for two days. You've seen this before someplace, but where? And one day it finally dawned on me that there it was. Ah, uh, okay. There and, it was. And what we're looking at right now is a picture of a loom. Of a loom. Mm -hmm. they, uh, what do they call it? What, this is a defensive position they take in the spring of the year when they're protecting the territory. And I forget what. It looks like they're walking on water, but uh, there's a name for that, you know, but I forget what it is. Now, um, is that something that you found early on, or is that something that kind of came to you later? It, it has slowly developed on its own. Early on, I was making pretty much basic, just freehands. I called them, you put lumps or bumps, right? you know, and you put them where they make it comfortable to hold the pipe. Yeah. Some pipes turned out to be strictly left hand, some strictly right hand, some were ambidextrous. It was, and just how it all comes about, you just, you know, that's, but develop your style, it, it's something that, it comes from the heart, it comes out your hands, and you have no idea yeah. how, it, how it works. It's a very natural, artistic expression. Yeah, right. I've got one, one guy from California that I'm working with, I've been for a couple of years, and I saw his stuff last night, and he's, he's improving. But Now, this guy's made a living all his life as an artist, and I'm trying to get him to get crazy. I said, you're going to end up making stuff that's just ugly. You're not going to like it, but it'll be a lesson. Every time you do it, you'll learn something. And you'll, he just, right now, he's just making kind of standard-shaped stuff. And, and how do you stand out when you're making that? You yeah, know? yeah. And your work certainly stands out. I know, that, I know that when I see a piece, I know that it's yours. Right, right. And, how, and how that happened, I can't explain. Yeah. But you, know? you identified it, and you ran with it. So. Right, right. Yep. And your your sand your your blasts are are just really really something else. Well, that again there that previously I was doing just a plain old blast like everybody else. You know the common thing you see them on Stanwells and they're not very deep. They're not real craggy. But I've got a six hour drive from here to get home. And one year on the, on the drive home, I decided. I had a long talk with myself, and I decided I was going to somehow develop a unique blast. So when I got home, I started, and I didn't talk to pipe makers. I talked to people that were in the sandblast industry, sold the equipment, sold the medium, uh, used it. Uh, and just talked to a bunch of people looking for something different. And I spent a lot of money and a lot of time developing it. 
normally back then normally I was making somewhere between 150 and 200 pipes a year that year my production dropped to 85 pipes so that's how much income I gave up in the time that I lost right but uh, yeah it's unique it's a it's a very deep blast the rings jump right out uh, it's something different uh, people like it oh yeah it's it's people people definitely like it your your blasts are known all, all over tell, tell me about your market I mean your your pipes go all over all over the world yes um, I was lucky back in I guess it was 2000 a Japanese guy found me on the internet and he started buying pipes. He had lost all of his pipes in that 95 earthquake that hit Kobe. He lost his entire life in that. And he didn't smoke for a number of years and then decided and found me on the internet and then decided to sell pipes. And I was, I did a lot of business with Pipedu uh, in Japan. I've, I've been over there every year, once a year since uh, 01. And it's been a good relationship. Uh, he sells a lot of pipes. Uh, the Japanese evidently are like my stuff, so they sell well there. Uh, I do have a uh, uh, man that owns four pipe shops in China that buys for me. So I'm in the China market, and I've been working for the last couple of years uh, with a pipe shop in uh, Moscow. Uh, I've actually I've sent pipes to every continent but Antarctica. Wow. And I have had people in my website from Antarctica. <laughs> I just haven't sent them a pipe. But, uh, maybe they ordered when they got back home. I don't know. What are your production numbers like nowadays? Roughly about a hundred pieces a year, somewhere in that neighborhood. And tell me about your grades or your nomenclature, how that works. Okay. Uh, I tried to keep it reasonably simple. Uh, my top grade pipe is a AAA. It has to have, the bowl has to have strong straight grain all around. No washing out at all in the, in the flame grain. And no pits, no flaws, no nothing. A clean piece of wood with good, strong straight grain. My double A can have cross grain, but no pits, no no flaws at all. So the triple A and the double A are clean pieces of wood. Just the grain is running in different directions. Uh, the single A, it can have some minor pits. Uh, I'll stain the pipe. I don't ever have I ever used super glue or tried to cover up pits. Uh, I have put what looks like a feather over a pit to hide it, but I tell the people, if there's a feather, there was a pit. I've had people bring pipes back to me and say, you misgraded this, you got to make it a double A. And the guy, I was thinking of one guy, he was so insistent that it was a perfect pipe. And he handed me the pipe, and when I put it in my hand, I felt the feather. I didn't even have to look at it. Yeah. I handed it back, I said, it's got a pit in there, Sherman. Yeah. You know? My fingers on it. I can feel it. There's a feather there. So, um, or I will stain it dark enough that you can't really see the pit until you look close to it. A B-grade pipe 
could have minor fills in it. Maybe not. But it'll either have uh, minor fills in it that you can't see because it'll be a sandblasted pipe or an etched pipe. Uh, the uh, internal craftsmanship on it is always good. It holds where it belongs. It'll be a good smoking pipe. Um, it maybe had oh bad craters of some sort in it, like you found in, in the pipe you did. Uh, but they'll be covered up. You won't you won't see them. Uh, my C grade pipe can have just about anything wrong with it that you can think of. The holes can be off. Uh, there maybe was a hole that went all the way through to the draft hole that I plugged with a mixture of epoxy and briar dust and sandblasted it. And that's pretty much what I smoke. Right. Is, is, is the, the mistakes, the stuff that I can't sell. I do not sell a C grade. I will sell, sell B's, but the C grades, I either give them as uh, door prizes or auction, auction stuff. Uh, this year I didn't have any. I gave him, uh, I, I gave Mike Gaffney two A grades for uh, the auction this year, and I gave one to uh, David Bull for the smoking contest. You got to support the hobby. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, absolutely. I try to be as generous as I can to, to the clubs because this is a lot of work and a lot of money. Yeah. And every nickel they can make. It, it helps, and I can't help them with the whole thing, but I can do my share. Yeah. So, uh, tell me about your early inspirations as far as other carvers go. Were there were there folks that kind of helped you out along the way that were kind of early mentors or early inspirations or anything like that? There were some, but but not like it is today with the internet, and the instant communication, the instant information that's available. There were a few pipe shows around, not very many. I'd maybe do two or three a year. Uh, there was one in Milwaukee I'd do, and I'd come to the Chicago show at Columbus. Uh, I did Indianapolis a couple of times. But there wasn't as much free flow of information as, as you find today. Sure, we'd talk to people, and each other, and, and well, how do you do this? And we'd change things. but. To say was there one person or a couple of people that were inspirations or mentors? Mentors, no. Inspirations, yes. Uh, when I met Teddy Knutson, of course, I fell in love with his stuff. Um, at the time, when I really first started, uh, Randy Wiley was making some of the top grade pipes in the country. There was a guy from uh, California, uh, Joe Mariner, made some real crazy stuff. Uh, you don't hear about him anymore. There was a Steve Waddell in Iowa that made some real nice stuff. Uh, a Bob Woods from Missouri that I talked to uh, and changed ideas with. But this Chicago show wasn't an international show at all like that. It was it was about like Columbus or or the St. Louis show today. Well, now that uh, now that everybody knows and loves your work, how many? I'm sure you've had a quite a few folks come to you, like you said. Oh yeah. Um, any of those folks that that you can talk about that have, you've really kind of helped? Oh yeah. Along uh, the way, Bruce Weaver's. Uh, 
has uh, been to my place, I think, four times. He was just there two weeks ago for three days. Uh, uh, Bob Swanson from uh, Fort Lauderdale came up and spent a week. Uh, Gunner Product came up from L.A. for about 10 days. Um, Bob Keys came for a few days. I had uh, a lawyer from Milwaukee that's just getting started, Dave Neeb, he came up for a week. Um, and I've already been talking to two or three here yeah. uh, about coming up this summer. Nobody, nobody's got the <laughs> kahunas to come up and see me in the winter, but they, they're happy to come in the summer. <laughs> yeah, it gets pretty chilly up where you are. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, um... Of when you when you're ready to go out and is your workshop right there at oh, your yeah. house? Right, uh, I got a long commute. My office chair is directly above the chair I sit in in my <laughs> shop, so <laughs> it's across the very small house, down the basement, and back across the basement. And I'm in, in the shop. That's great. Now, when you're ready to go make a pipe, when you is that an everyday thing for you? Or absolutely. Is that, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, there are times I'll wake up at. Three o'clock in the morning, go to the shop at four, and work without stopping until eleven, and wonder where the time was. Yeah. I, I quit saying saying I'm going to work. I'm going to my shop because yeah. it's, it's just too much fun. If I got a, a, a if I found a special plateau that I really think I can get something super out of, or if I'm working uh, a new design or something, you get excited about it. You yeah. see, and, and I just keep keep going till it's done. Obviously, you have you, you get a, a great amount of enjoy, enjoyment out of making pipes. Oh, but, absolutely! Uh, when you go out to the shop and when you go to make, when you're ready to sit down and make some pipes, what's the toughest part about that? Uh, I still have a problem looking at a, a plateau and trying to find something different in it. It's easy to find a poker in it in a plateau, not every plateau, there are some plateaus that are just natural poker. There's some that look like Dublin's. But to get anything else, there's nothing that looks like a billiard. You know? uh, so sometimes I struggle with some of those. I've got some wood that's been in my shop for four or five years. I've got it sitting up on a shelf so I can see it. And I, I've had blocks up there, and I, I just don't think I'll ever find a pipe to put into that block. But I'll walk by and look at it one day, and the light will go off. Yeah. Ah, I know what to do with that. Well, I still got some mysteries at home. Yeah. I don't know what they'll end up. <laughs> now, your work is so very organic and, and, and amazing. What Besides the loon that we already talked about earlier, mm -hmm. what else do you draw from as far as inspiration goes for these shapes? Uh, I kind of live like a hermit. Uh, I spend as much time as I can in the woods walking around. Uh, I used to hunt and fish a lot when I was a kid, not so much anymore. But uh, I've always enjoyed the outdoors. I could never live in Chicago. I'd rather die. Uh, <laughs> A weekend here is more than enough for me. Yeah. So it's, I guess I'm just a, uh, an outdoor sort of a person, and, and it, it shows in my work. And I think that's what really helped 
uh, with the Japanese market because they love organic stuff so much and, and you see not just in the designs coming out of the, the Japanese pipe makers but in all their art mm -hmm. and in their in their architecture mm -hmm. it's um, on, on trips over there we've done as much sightseeing as we can and I've been in places uh, in Kyoto where the place is packed it's a garden like the last Shogun's house for instance is one the gardens around there it's all so peaceful it can be jammed with people but you don't feel like you're in a crowd yeah. you know and that's the kind of life that it yeah uh, and the kind of person that I am Boy. it's just something that comes out natural yeah now when mm. you do have downtime or when you're not making pipes what do you like to do what does leave on earth like to do when well, he's not making pipes uh, actually uh, when I own the house that I'm in, right now I'm renting, but uh, I like to have a nice flower garden. Uh, I've got a place in Minnesota, a cabin in northern Minnesota I like to go to that's on the lake. Um, I would like to get fishing again soon, but the fishing just, you know, 40 years ago when I was a kid, fishing was good. It's not so good anymore, so it's... I got a couple of buddies that uh, we really don't bother anymore. But, um, I watch a lot of uh, TV, uh, Discovery, History, and National Geographic pretty much makes up about 95 yeah. percent of what I watch. Yeah, those are some of my favorites too. Yeah. Um, I take my dog for long walks in the woods. What kind of dog you have? Uh, well, she's called, they're called Red Healers, they a catalog. She's getting old now. She, she used to take long walks in the winter and I had to snowshoe, but the last couple of winters she hadn't wanted to go out very, for very long, so. Is there any wisdom you can give to the, to the new pipe smokers out there? Whenever somebody has come to me with, with a, that kind of a question, I've always tried to make my answer as simple as possible. Buy the best piece of briar that you can afford and buy the best tobacco that you can afford. If you're gonna start with a grable and half and half, you're not gonna enjoy the experience. But if you can buy even a $150 pipe, a 7L is a good smoke, or find, a, find an estate pipe. You don't have to spend in the four figures to get a, a good smoking pipe. Uh, but the tobacco also. Uh, you think, I don't know if, if all the listeners uh, know the McClellan blends, but 2030 is uh, one of their blends that I smoke a lot of. It's a Balkan. Uh, there's no bite to it. It's got a little Latakia, but not a ton of it. So you. The people that don't like the room note from Latakia don't even notice it from there. Uh, they've got a, a Red Virginia 5100 that's a very mellow smoke. And it, go to a good tobacconist and ask him what he recommends. And if he tries to give you a cherry delight, tell him no. <laughs> that stuff's going to burn and, and it, you're going to fry your mouth and you're not going to like the experience. Now, is there any uh, wisdom you can offer to the new 
pipe carvers out there, the guys who are just starting out wanting to make pipes? It's an extremely competitive market, and it's getting more competitive every day. There's probably at least a dozen new pipe makers at this show alone that I've never seen before. They're, they're coming out of the woodwork. And we can thank the internet for that because it's made it so much easier to talk to people, get the instant information. I get, I get a lot of questions from, from new pipe makers and I try to answer their question with a question to get them thinking. You got something that you can't figure out, think about it. You'll come up with the answer. You don't have to run to somebody. And if you figure out an easier way of doing something, tell me about it too so I can use it, you know? Uh, I'll help you out as much as I can, but uh, a lot of times I'll answer your question with a question to make you think. Back in the 60s and 70s, we didn't have that internet luxury, and it, it, it's been a boom for the business. Yeah. I mean, I'd have never been in Japan, I'd have never been had pipes in Russia, China, you know, how do you make these? Yeah. I would, how in the world would they ever have found me? Yeah. So the internet was, thank you Al Gore, <laughs> but he tailor-made it for the, for the pipe, pipe business. I mean, it's a natural. Yeah. It's the natural. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and talk with us a little bit here. Oh, you're welcome. I enjoyed it. Thank you. It. It, that was uh, the great American carver, Lee Von Erk, and we were at the Chicago Show 2008. And uh, hopefully you're here too because Lee has some absolutely beautiful work here, as he always does. And it was great to sit down and chat with you for a while. Thank you, Lee. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. I enjoyed it very much. Now, there is one unique artist who has obviously poured his heart and soul into his craft. What struck me about the interview with Lee is just how much this guy has worked on his techniques over the years. That was really, really interesting to me. But also, just how willing he is to give back to the pipe community. What a pipe maker and what a guy. Um, check out his work as soon as you can. Um, that's www.von-erk.com. That's V-O-N-E-R-C-K.com. Thanks so much. It's been a real pleasure. This podcast was brought to you by the NASPC. Check them out at naspc.org and join today. I'm Oli for umpal.com. Wishing you luck trying to figure out which Lee Von Erk pipe is going to be next in your collection.